0: How in the world could it take so long to get through this? How could there be so much in day seven where it just says God resting, and didn't make anything else? But uh, tonight we're going to get to a lot of the meat of why this day is so important. Um, I don't know if you can have a favorite day of creation. I don't know that God necessarily does either. But this day, studying it, uh, truly has been a blessing. And I'm looking forward to what God has for us tonight. But I want to pick up by reading here verses 1 through 3 in chapter 2. It says, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God ended his work which he had made, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had made. And God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because that in it he had rested from all his work which God created and made. And now that seems so simple and so small and insignificant, that God just, you know, he made everything, everything's done. Uh, as we talked about last week and, and dealt specifically with, Everything that was made was made. There's nothing left unmade. There's nothing left undone. Everything is accomplished as it's supposed to be. It's in its right place. It's gets ready to reproduce, to populate, and to live out in its uh, world of which God has made. Now, as we come to this spot here, uh, I want to give to you what one commentator deals with about God resting. We had begun with that idea, and we asked the question last week towards the end, does God get tired? Was he exhausted from his creative work? Did he just need a, a Sunday afternoon nap here? And certainly that's not the case. As we talked about Isaiah 40, 28, right? This is the Lord who does not grow weary. He does not slumber or sleep. This is the, the God of the universe. So what does it mean that God rested? Well, it means that he did not create something new is what is implied here and whats what we're dealing with in language. So it brings us here to what commentator writes about this. He says, as a human artist but completes his work just when he has brought it up to his ideal and ceases to work upon it, so in an infinitely higher sense, God completed the creation of the world with all its inhabitants by ceasing to produce anything new and entering into the rest of his all-sufficient eternal being from which he had come forth, as it were at and in the creation of the world distinct from his own essence. Hence, ceasing to create is called resting and being refreshed. What we find is that God looks and steps back and views his work, but he does not stop from working. He looks at everything that he's created and it's made and it's full and complete and perfect and good and and, and prepared to, to be used throughout the whole plan that he has already prepared. And I want you to know that as he made this, he already had in mind and full understanding that it was going to fall. He had in mind everything that was going to take place because of the fall. Even before the foundations of the world, the Bible tells us that God had known you, had prepared your life, had numbered your days, had prepared and chosen us in Christ Jesus, and had the plan of salvation already prepared and laid out for long before time even began. And so we have to understand that while you and I look at day one, two, three, four, five, and six of each day, God's not just going, "Well, what am I going to make today?" Right? Long before He says. And God said after at the beginning of each day during the creative week, he already knows what he's going to make. He's already established it. He's already prepared it. He's already planned this out. Our God is not a God who just goes, well, you know, how am I feeling today? What do I feel like doing? No, rather, he is precise in what he does, and he is orderly in what he does. The Bible tells us that he is not the author of confusion. Therefore, he's not going to bring about a whole bunch of wild chaos. Rather, he takes what could be chaos, and he makes order, and he brings about life where there is death or nothing. And we've dealt with this truth last week. And with this week as well, I want us to to bring this little section home. That if God stopped all of his work or stopped working, then everything does perish. Everything just implodes upon itself. God is ever at work. God did not just wind up the time and say, well, let's see how this whole thing works out. Rather, he is in every single detail of life. Some people are afraid of the word sovereign over things. But God is sovereign. It means that He rules. He knows. He plans. He ordains. There are no surprises in the history of man to God. There are no surprises in the way that uh, in atoms or molecules work. There are, as one has put it, no rogue molecules. Right? There is nothing that, that goes and, and God goes, Oh, I didn't see that coming. He knows all. He has ordained these things because what He is doing is according to the Bible working all things out according to His plan and His will for the good of those who uh, know Him and, and trust Him by faith and for His glory, all right? Now, as we come here, I want us to look at this idea of rest and why this seventh day is so important, all right? Now, the seventh day of rest, first of all, the immediate rest here. The immediate resting of God brings about a blessing to the creation, this has been a busy week in the life of the earth, hasn't it? You figure it goes from formless and void and darkness upon the face of the deep, and the Holy Spirit uh, covering and hovering over the waters, preparing it for for life to come. And then, boom! Let there be light, and there was light. And then every day has been a a, a total um, not a not a chaos, but an absolute overwhelming sense of God working. And life has been. Pronounced and given, and now the whole earth is teeming with teeming with life. Life is everywhere; it's buzzing about, if you will. But there is this immediate rest and blessing that comes to creation. That the seventh day is set apart. It says that he rested, and God blessed the seventh day. We're going to see what this looks like here. First of all, uh, one commentator puts it: this self-satisfaction of God and His creation, which we call His pleasure in His work, was also a spiritual power which streamed forth as a blessing upon the creation itself, bringing it into the blessedness of the rest of God and filling it with his peace. This constitutes the positive element in the completion which God gave to the work of creation by blessing and sanctifying the seventh day because on it he found rest from the work which he, by making, had created. The divine act of blessing was a real communication of powers of salvation, grace, and peace. And sanctifying was not merely declaring holy, but communicating the attribute of holy, placing in a living relation to God, the Holy One, raising to a participation in the pure, clear light of the holiness of God. What we find when God sets this day apart, what the word holy means at sort of a root, if you will, is something that is sanctified or set apart. It means it's different. Now, when we understand this, and we're going to look at this for just a moment tonight, is that when we understand the word holy, the first thing that should come to mind is not how we dress on the outside, is not even the way that we carry ourselves or even our talk or speech. The first thing that should come to your mind when we say the word holy is God himself. It is God who is holy. The only way that you and I know what holiness even looks like or resembles, it's because we know what God is like. It's because he has declared himself and shown himself to be holy. He is separated from us because he is holy and we are unholy. And then he calls his people who are trusting in him, who are believers, that we are called to be holy as he is holy. So that does mean set apart, sanctified, uh, to, to be different, to be pure, to be clear or clean. As the Bible tells us that God is love, God is light. In him is no darkness at all. There is no no spot, no blemish, excuse me we look at this and see that the seventh day is sort of this idea of this day that is being set apart to show not just one day being set apart and holy or or good, but rather that God himself is holy and set apart and good in all that he does. Now, the seventh day does a, a couple of things, seven being the number of completion or perfection throughout the scripture. And we find that it really brings it home, doesn't it? When he says, thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the hosts of it. It's complete. There is this idea of perfection. There was nothing new that God had to add to it. That's why He rested, right? That's why we see that resting take place. There is no new thing. And we look at the holiness that is described here of this seventh day of rest, and we see that it's not just dealing with the holy declared of that day, but it shows the holiness of God. That He and His creative powers are holy all that he is in his person his work his will his word is holy his love for you is not mushy gushy right it's not a puppy dog it's not a puppy sort of love right it's it is a holy love how about his wrath is it uh, a mean old man upstairs who's playing whack-a-mole just anything that pops its head up or does him wrong no it's a holy wrath it's a holy justice it's a holy grace I believe that if we were to boil down in in essence, if you will, and certainly God is far above what our finite brains can hold, the thing that has stuck with me over the past couple of years of studying and getting to know God more is his holiness. If we can understand and grasp just a little bit about all that he is and his nature of everything, being the holy God of the universe, it makes everything else kind of come together. Why does uh, Jesus have to die in our place? Because God is holy. He he loves us, but because of his holiness, it's a holy love towards us, but he also has this holy wrath that has to be satisfied. Therefore, it can only be satisfied through a holy one who is God in the flesh. We see how everything comes together and points back to the essence of all that God is and everything that he does. Furthermore, we also find that his day of rest was a demonstration of his holiness and a call for us to picture and reflect the same. Man is set apart from all the rest of creation, right? He's made the only one made in the image and the likeness of God, a living, breathing soul. We're a, a soul spirit it, inside of a, a body. And we're so, so we're set apart from the rest of creation because as we talked about for a couple of weeks, we're the, considered to be the crown jewel of the creative week, not because there's something special about us, but because it's a special God, a good God, who made us and formed us and fashioned us uh, for a divine purpose and a greater purpose than anything else that was already made. And then we see how we have been set apart, but even more so as we become children of God. The moment you were born again, you were then declared holy when you were unholy. And you're not declared holy because you're good. You're declared righteous and holy because Christ has taken all of the bad that you are and all of your wickedness and sinfulness and has imputed to you his righteousness, all of the good that he is. And now we look, as we move more into this, of looking at what this means for us, for God's people, a holy rest of God's people, the holy rest of God's people. First, let's begin by establishing the fact that it's not meant for you to work 24-7, is it? No right? Contrary to what our wives might think. <laughs> Just kidding, right? If we had some more folks, they'd get it, right? You think about this. Our bodies are not meant to work all day, every day. They can't do it. This is why you see the, the catnaps on sunny afternoons, or I remember as a kid, you know, dad comes home from work and, you know, sits on the couch and he rests his eyes, right, while snoring at the same time. How that happens, I have no idea, but, you know, dad's got that magical way about them. We have to rest our bodies. Even the Lord Jesus was tired, weary, physically, and rested. If y'all remember, one of my favorite accounts in Scripture, in the Gospels, is where there's a storm, and they're on the sea, and what is Jesus doing? Rowing the boat? No. He's asleep inside the boat. He's tired, physically resting. Why? Because he's literally all day, every day, giving everything to life and ministry and to his disciples, and, and he, he needs that rest. So just as with every day of creation, day seven also pictures a greater lesson in order to better understand who God is and what he desires for his people. First of all, physically. The day of rest here on day seven establishes the seven-day week, which is the pattern for man to use for time, seasons, and our lifestyle. This is why for literally... Thousands of years that man has taken a day of, of, of rest to recuperate before uh, the work week, gearing up for that day, gearing up for that time of, uh, of where, well, hey, got to go back tomorrow and, and go all the way through it again, work. Well, if we think about it, though, times are so different even now, but in the past hundred years, they look different than what they did for the past 6,000 years. Look back. Everyone worked every day because everyone woke up, fed the chickens, collected the eggs, milked the cows, right, took care of the garden. All day was a day of work. And even, you know why, as a matter of fact, we often don't, you know why 11 o'clock for so many churches is so traditional? And it's so, I mean, you'll split a church if you tell them to move. I love 1030, by the way. We're not not changing it, right? I like 1030. But anyways, gives me time to, to preach, and just in case we go over, which hardly happens. But eleven o'clock—the reason why it was so popular and still is, and considered tradition—is because for how many hundreds and even thousands of years that people gathered together. That people would have to get their morning chores done before they can get to church, and then they don't just drive to church; they have to walk or hop in a wagon or, or carpool. I mean, the horse and something—they're getting there, but not through cars, not through trucks, and airplanes or anything like that, but they got to get a lot done before they can get to church. Why? Because if you don't milk a cow, what happens? It's not good. I do know that much, <laughs> right? Your cows can get sick. You lose milk. You lose a lot. Chickens. I mean, everything. And that's why it's been that, that way. We see, though, that man, though, is in need of physical rest. Our bodies, if you work all day, every day, will eventually give out. Even in the Navy SEALs training and elite special operations training. What they try to do is they try to deprive you of as much rest and sleep as possible. But even in the middle of what they would call hell week, they're going to give you a time where you're, they're going to let you sleep for a few hours, nice and good. They're going to wake you up and go straight back at it. Right? Which some have even said that that's the hardest part is because they allow you to rest so well for just a couple short hours and you go right back to it. That's where many guys often quit. We look think, though, our bodies need rest or else they won't keep going. God, though, even if he doesn't take that day off, if you will, he can still keep going. He doesn't grow weary or tired. But spiritually, though, there is this other aspect to it, that the day of rest is going to be important for Israel to have Sabbath days and will point to the greater day of rest for all believers. Now, the Sabbath day here, Mark 2, 27, 28, and he said unto them, The Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. Therefore, the Son of Man is Lord also of the Sabbath. The Sabbath day of rest for Israel during this time as the Lord is talking about. There were many who accused Jesus of being a blasphemer and breaking the Sabbath because He healed someone on the Sabbath day. (gasps) Right? How awful of Jesus to give sight to the blind or heal a crippled on the Sabbath day. They say, oh, you're working. And then I love one of the things that he does, is he turns to the Pharisees who accuse him of break the Sabbath and he says, you got an ox that gets stuck in the mud, right, in the ditch. What are you going to do when it's a Sabbath day? And they're like, well, we, we got to get it out. They could die if we don't. And he goes, Yeah? We're talking the same thing here. Save an ox or save a soul, right? And here, they have such an issue. And unfortunately, what God meant for the good of man, man has taken and corrupted to make laws, rules, and regulations. There are those who firmly still hold that the Sabbath is only on Saturdays and, and everything and, and, and you know, only can meet on Saturdays, only do this, only do that, and they put themselves back under the law of which we've been saved from. Now, the Sabbath was given for Israel, first of all. Sabbath day for Israel. God established the seventh day to be a day of rest from the gathering of manna in the wilderness. You can turn with me here to a couple places. I might should have time to get through these. Exodus 16 tells us this, and I'll I'll go through these quickly. Exodus chapter 16. By the way, for the next few minutes, we're going to be in Exodus. (laughs) Exodus 16. uh, We see the establishment of the day of rest from gathering manna in the wilderness. Verse number 21 tells us, And they gathered it every morning, every man according to his eating. And when the sun waxed hot, it melted. And it came to pass that on the sixth day they gathered twice as much bread, Two omers for one man, and all the rulers of the congregation came and told Moses. And he told unto them, This is that which the Lord hath said: Tomorrow is the rest of the holy Sabbath unto the Lord. Bake that which ye will bake today, and seethe that ye will seethe, and that which remaineth overlay up for you to be kept until morning. They laid it up till morning, as Moses bade, and did not stink. Neither was there any worm therein. Moses said, Eat that today, for today is Sabbath unto the Lord. Today ye shall. Uh, not find it in the field. Six days ye shall gather it, but on the seventh day, which is the Sabbath, in it there shall be none. And it came to pass that when they went out some of the people on the seventh day for to gather, they found none. The Lord said to Moses, How long refuse ye to keep my commandments and my laws? See, for that the Lord hath given you the Sabbath. Therefore he giveth you on the sixth day the bread for two days. Abide ye every man in his place. Let no man go out in his place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day. God took it serious. He said, you don't need to go out on the seventh day looking for manna because on day six, I'm giving you twice what you need. So you've got it already for day seven. So you don't have to do any work. Now think about this. They didn't have to really work for this manna, did they? They went out and collected it. At most, they got to warm it up and bake it, right? That's it. They go out, they collect it for their families, and that is it. And what did Israel eventually do? Well, we don't like this bread. We haven't had meat in so long. We had it better off in Israel. Now, is that the same as how we treat the Sabbath or, or a day of rest sometimes? What do we say about weekends, right? Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday takes so long. The work week is awful. Saturday, Sunday is so quick, and we just don't we just complain about this time of rest or this moment that God gives to us to rest, recuperate, and we use it or abuse it, or we complain about how little it is. And this is the pattern because as long as we have on sinful flesh, we will always find something wrong with what God gives or establishes or orders. Then we find, and the next thing I want to look at is that God reinstates the Sabbath and the Ten Commandments in order to keep the pattern of a six-day work week and a day of rest and remembrance of what God has done. So we flip over to Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20. Now, remember, we just read there in 16 about the gathering of the manna. God said, how long will you refuse to keep my commands and statutes, laws? How long? He's going, what's your problem? This isn't a hard thing. I said, I'm giving you twice of what you need on, on the sixth day. Just take it and be happy. And they can't. They want to go back out on the seventh day. man wants to work, wants to get what he wants. Even many of them, I'm sure, to get extra for the long journey ahead. But in Exodus 20, verse number 8, Remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. Six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath of the Lord thy God. In it thou shalt not do any work, thou nor thy son nor thy daughter, thy manservant nor thy maidservant nor thy cattle nor thy stranger that is within thy gates. It was a day of rest. Not just this kick back and not do a thing, but rather it was a rest To remember and reflect on what God has done. Well, what does God do on day seven? He sits back and he doesn't not do anything, but rather he reflects and looks at what he has done. The idea is the same for you and I when we take that day each week that we should take to rest. It's that not that we're resting physically, but we are resting spiritually. That we are remembering and reflecting on what God has done throughout this week. You think about it. Some weeks are better than others, aren't they? Let's just be honest. There's some doozies of weeks, but either way, we should take that day off and to remember, reflect. Look, look what God's brought me through. Look, Look how God got me today and brought me this rest and this time. Look how good God's been. Even if it's been the worst week possible, it's still not near as bad as what we deserve because of our sin. So God certainly has been good. It's all about the way in which we view things. Third, we find the seriousness that the Sabbath day is. God makes the seriousness of the Sabbath day holy unto the Lord. Over in Exodus 31. Exodus 31. Verse 14 and 15. says, I'll back up to verse 12 while you guys are turning. It says, The Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak thou also unto the children of Israel, saying, Verily my Sabbath ye shall keep. For it is a sign between me and you throughout your generations that ye may know that I am the Lord that doth sanctify you. Ye shall keep the Sabbath, therefore, for it is holy unto you. Everyone that defileth it shall surely be put to death. For whosoever doeth any work therein, that soul shall be cut off from among his people. Six days may work be done, but in the seventh is the uh, Sabbath of rest. Holy to the Lord. Whosoever doeth any work in the Sabbath day, he shall surely be put to death. We find that twice, don't we? Y'all going to miss church anymore? Right? <laughs> Just kidding. Right? Right? I, I kid with you, right? What do you think about this? Praise the Lord that you and I are no longer un, under the law. Could you imagine that? I, I mean, you, you miss, you forsake it, you break it, and they will you're worthy of death. Now certainly, we're dealing with a couple different things here between gathering as saints of New Testament who are under grace and versus the law that's been given here to Israel. Nevertheless, We should take that day of rest very seriously. Why? For one simple reason, if any reason at all, God takes it seriously. To rest and remember and reflect on all that he has done. Why? Because God gets the glory out of that. And certainly, I would say this, you can rest and remember and reflect on all the bad things that have happened to you that past week and what will you do? You'll have a sour attitude. You won't want to talk to nobody, do anything good. You're just going to want to mope around, aren't you? But what if you turn and you remember and reflect and think about all the good that God has done, what will that do? It will make you begin to smile and might make your heart a little bit warmer, right? It, it might just make you want to glorify God. And that's our whole purpose of being made and created to worship and know Him. Then we see lastly, over in Leviticus 25, just the next book. just keep turning, you'll find it. Leviticus 25, God establishes the Sabbath or year of rest for the land. He does so for his creation, not just for man, but for the land itself as a blessing. Leviticus chapter 25, verses 4 and 5, the whole chapter could go through a lot of it, the, the Sabbath and Jubilee years. But verse number four tells us this, But in the seventh year shall be a Sabbath of rest unto the land, a Sabbath for the Lord. Thou shalt neither sow thy field nor prune thy vineyard. "...that which groweth of its own accord of thy harvest thou shalt not reap, neither gather the grapes of thy vine undressed, for it is a year of rest unto the land." It shows a dependence on the Lord. It shows a trust in what God is doing with the land. And it shows as well throughout all of this, even though they took a year off for certain plots and lands and things, And in fact, it's nothing new. It's something that's been even done today. That there are farmers who will take one plot of land and while they've used it for several years, They'll keep it on a cycle where they'll let it rest for a year before they come back the next year and plant it in again, right? They'll keep it up and they'll keep the weeds down or bush hog it, whatever. But they won't plant in that one that year. They'll come back and do it again, right? They give it the rest that it needs. It is a blessing. Now we get to you and I, the Sabbath day of rest for the church. Now you say, preacher, we're not under the Sabbath. Absolutely believe it. That's why we meet on Sunday mornings, not Saturdays. Now, football season, it might be nice (laughs) to... Meet on Saturdays, I don't know, have Sundays, watch game, games. Uh, we get out of here on time, right? But, but uh, we, we joke about that stuff. But think about this. You and I, I want us to understand this, is that for us, we meet on Sunday. What day of the week is Sunday? One or seven? One. How many thinks it's one? How many think it's Seven. How I many of you don't know? You just know it's Sunday, right? <laughs> yeah, right. Well, it's considered to be the first day of the week. So we go, are we breaking it? Is that bad? Well, what day did, did Christ rise from the dead? First day of the week. That's right, Sunday mornings. That's how we meet. That's how we gather. So the idea here for the New Testament saint here is less that it has to be the seventh day that we rest on Saturdays. And it's that we take the day of rest and if anything, more so to gather on the day that the Lord has risen, and that's why believers have gathered since his resurrection on the first day of the week. Every time that you walk through those back doors on a Sunday morning, you know what we're doing? We're celebrating Easter. We're celebrating the resurrection of the Lord. It's not just Easter Sunday morning where we wear our pastel colors and we come in and we're going, hey, happy Easter, right? And then we're so excited about it. It's every Sunday we're gathering to worship the same risen Lord and to praise him for the fact that he is still risen. He's still risen and he's reigning and that we don't serve a dead God. We don't serve a dead savior. We serve one who died and rose again victorious every day of your life, of your Christian walk is a celebration of the resurrection in Christ and the resurrection that we're promised in him, especially as the saints gather. Now, as David Guzik writes, he says seventh day, because it was a gift to man for rest and replenishment, and most of all, because the Sabbath is a shadow of the rest available through the person and work of Jesus Christ. So, when we come to day seven in Genesis chapter two, God rested and did no new creative work. What do we find? We find that it's pointing to something greater, and the greater that is always getting pointed to in the Bible is Jesus, because Jesus is greater. Jesus is the point of the Bible. He's the focal point. He's the the tapestry all throughout every scripture, every book of the Bible that is pointing to him. And for you and I as believers, every day in Christ is to be a day of rest in remembrance of him, isn't it? Tell me, what day of the week should you not think about what Jesus has done for you? Every day shouldn't it be. Right? It's every day. It's not just sunny mornings that we think, oh, and we sing, oh, how I love Jesus and how great thou art and this is so great. We are to rest and remember in Christ come Monday morning and Tuesday afternoon and Wednesday uh, night. and Every day is a day of rest for you in Christ. Why? Because when I sin, I can rest in Christ and knowing that I'm still saved, I'm still kept by His grace and His goodness and that my sins are forgiven and that if I confess my sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. There's rest and hope in there, isn't it? So many believers today are so busy toiling away that they never rest in Christ. We have many who want to be saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, but want to keep their salvation by work alone. And it doesn't work that way. What they do is they work themselves into such a frenzy that they never stop to rest at the feet of Jesus. I often think about uh, Martha and Mary in such a case. Many people who are willing to go and be the busy bees working, going, how come everyone else is doing a thing? A bunch of lazy bums. It's always 10% of the church that does everything. Well, yeah, there's some truth to it. However, what happens is about the 10% of the people that do everything oftentimes aren't a part of the rest of the group that just worships the Lord. One day, I would love, and it's going to happen one day, where we will not have any ministry taking place on a Sunday morning. There won't be nursery. There won't be, junior, there won't be children's church happening. There won't be nothing else going on except everyone in, take a day of rest that we won't have to worry about. Let, it, let a baby cry. Someone could, it, mama can take him out for a minute and get, come back. It's all right. We've got animal crackers out there. Nursery's open. They come at, Why? Because we all need to remember why we're here. To worship the Lord. And even when we are working for the Lord, what should it be? An act of worship. If we work for the Lord just to work for the Lord, to be busy for the Lord, we're probably just being busy for ourselves. And so we look like we love the Lord. But if we love the Lord, we'll spend... Our time, whether it's working or resting, in a heart of worship. Now, as we move forward here, I want to give you what David Swartzen writes. He says, The greater idea is not so much the seventh day as such, but rather one day out of seven being set apart for rest in the things of God. Hence, after the resurrection of Christ, the early church changed its weekly holiday from the seventh to the first. Day of true rest. Rest in Christ of His resurrection. Every day for you and I being a day, but one day a week to gather, to rest in the Lord together. This is why, especially after all that has taken place in our country and the world the past year and a half, we have got to get back to the place where we understand that it is not just a good thing, but it is necessary for believers to gather together. You can watch a live stream service all you want. We need to gather together. Why? Because there is nothing that would do your heart good more than standing there and either looking at the screen or holding open your hymn book and hearing the other saints around you singing the praises that you're singing. There's nothing quite like, one of my favorite sounds in all the world is this sound. Y'all hear that? Pages is turning. Can't hear that on live stream. As a matter of fact, the average person that is watching a live stream isn't participating in the service. There's no likes, comments, very few mostly. And most of them just set it and forget it like a crock pot. And they turn it on and then they don't worry about it. They just walk around the house, go about whatever their life is like. And it's just on. But they're not getting a thing from it. Now, it's a good tool if you're sick. But if you're well, get here. We need you. and You need us. And the Lord commands us to come and to gather and to sanctify that day of the week, to gather and worship and to give and, and to gather to then scatter. Because you figure the rest of the week, we're almost on a no man's land because unfortunately we don't live our lives like they did in the book of Acts, where we're having meals with one another, talking to each other, checking in on one, with one another. If we call somebody, it's mostly to either find out what so and so did or to gossip, right? We use all those things for all reasons. But we're called to live life together throughout the week as well. But what happens is we live our lives so lonely that we do especially need, in today's busy age, to gather together to encourage and edify one another on that sanctified day. Now then we get to the meat of the night. The Sabbath day, the seventh day of rest that God gives in Genesis chapter two, points to the eternal day of rest. One day, and there's many a gospel songs that talk about there being no more night. That'll be a glad reunion day, an eternal day. The reason why is we look at this over in Genesis chapter 2. And God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it because that in it he had rested from all his work which God created and made. In the evening and the morning were the seventh day. Does it say that? No, it doesn't. Why is that? Let's look at it. Every believer, first of all, is promised and focused on going into the eternal rest in the Lord. We rest in Him now to get us through to be with Him for the eternal rest. Right now, we are already seated it in heavenly places. So rest in the Lord. You've got a problem tonight. You've got sin tonight. You've got anxiety tonight, depression tonight. Rest in the Lord. And trust that if you're in Him, that one day you'll be free from all of that work and labor and fight spiritually against those things And that there is an eternal rest. There is that eternal day. There will be that eternal time where never again will you face the effects of the fall, the curse, never to sin, never to rebel or fail God again, never to say goodbye to a loved one again. Never. All is peace forevermore. On that happy golden shore. What a day. Glorious day that will be. Commentator writes, God, having completed his work of creation, rests as if to say, this is the destiny of those who are my people to rest as I rest, to rest in me. What a wonderful thought that is to think. God doesn't rest on the seventh day because he's tired. He does so to give us the promise that one day. All the folks that he redeems, that he already knew before the foundations of the earth in Christ Jesus, who will come to him by grace alone through faith alone, that they will rest eternally in him forever and forever and forever and forever. What a great promise that is. Eternity with Christ is promised before we even get to the flood. It's before we even get to the fall of sin. We're already looking forward to no more sin before sin even enters in. Why? Because God knows sin's about to enter in in a matter of days, probably. And He's looking forward to the day where I'm going to redeem all these people. The creation speaks of the consummation. The same way that your birthday reminds you of a coming death day. But that we see further than that. Those in Christ, we look past that physical day of death is we're looking forward to an eternal day. And we won't have to worry about birthdays or holidays. We won't worry about any of those things. As a matter of fact, what we're going to be worried about is just worshiping the Lord forever, 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 and in an eternal day. Hebrews chapter four, verse nine through eleven, tells us this. Mind you, Hebrews is being written to believers who are being uh, facing immense persecution, uh, the like that you and I don't even begin to fathom or understand. Many of them are facing pressure to go back to Judaism and by the Judaizers. Many of them are being told to go back to the law plus Jesus. Many of them are apostate and leaving the faith because of false doctrines and the persecution around them. And here's what the writer of Hebrews tells us. And if you want to argue whoever wrote Hebrews, we can do that another time. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 9 tells us, "...there remaineth therefore a rest to the people of God. For he that has entered into his rest... He also has ceased from his own works as God did from his. Let us labor therefore to enter into that rest lest any man fall after, he say, after the same example of unbelief. Now as we come back here to Genesis chapter 2, verse 3. I had read and said, where does it say in the evening and the morning were the seventh day? And it doesn't. Now for many that could bother them. For me it gives me hope. Why the inconsistency? Why is it not included? It was the other six days. Was this not a literal day? Oh, it most certainly was. However, what we find is this. Verse 3 is left open-ended with no evening and morning because the eternal day in the new heavens and earth will never have a sunrise or sunset. We don't think about that much, do we? We think about heaven just being like our life now. We wake up. We, you know, go to the great heavenly church for the day and things are good, maybe eat some good fruit or Krispy Kreme donuts, whatever's up there, right? The hot, fresh signs ready all the time, right? That, that, that's heaven, I'm guessing. That, that was the man in the wilderness. I don't know. You can't prove me wrong and I can't prove you right, okay? But we know this. We think about heaven and then we think, oh, well, then we go, go to bed for the night in our mansion and, you know, it's probably got a nice truck or a bass boat and that's the way we think about heaven and that's not heaven, Heaven is not about your mansion. It's not about your family members you get to see. Heaven is about the glory of God. Why? Because everything in creation is about the glory of God. Therefore, why would not heaven be about the glory of God when heaven is literally all that the all that is described points to his glory? Every account that we find, someone catching a, a momentary glimpse of heaven, it's not about. Oh, I see Paul back there. Hey, Paul. No, it's they see the throne of God and they fall down and worship Him. Why? Because Paul's doing it too. And so are the hundreds of millions or billions times hundreds of billions or millions, the myriads times myriads of angelic beings surrounding the throne, falling down and praising the holy God of creation and of consummation, of heaven and of earth, of all things, the thrice-holy, triune, perfect, complete, self-sufficient God. All for His glory and forevermore. I want to give to you this. This last little statement paragraph here. He says, We must conclude, therefore, that on the seventh day on which God rested from His work, the world also with all its inhabitants attained to the sacred rest of God, that the uh, kata Pausis and Sabbatismos of God, which is the idea of the Sabbath, the rest of God, were made a rest and sabbatic festival for His creatures, especially for man. And that this day of rest of the new created world, which the forefathers of our race observed in paradise, as long as they continued in a state of innocence and lived in blessed peace with their God and Creator, was the beginning, the type of the rest which the creation after it had fallen from fellowship with God, through the sin of man, received a promise that it should once more be restored through redemption at its final consummation. Now I want to do something for you tonight and and we'll be done with this. I don't want you to do anything besides you can turn with me if you'd like to. To Revelation 21. Now I've read a little bit from here. And I'll continue to do so. Heaven doesn't come just out of nowhere, when you die, but we're talking about new heavens, new earth. The eternal city. Tonight, I'm not just going to read a portion. I'm going to read chapters 21 and 22 for you. All right? It's not that long. All right? If it's too long, you can stop me. All right? And then you can tell God why you didn't want me to read all that Bible. All right? There you go. That's what I thought. <laughs> but I want you to listen to this. Chapter 21. Mind you, this takes place after all the judgments. Um, it was once sung by a famous guitarist, No Tears in Heaven. <laughs> Eric Clapton, in case you are wondering. Yes, I'm a heathen, that's okay. There will be tears. There will be many tears. In fact, I believe there will be much weeping at the judgment seat in chapter 20. But chapter 21 happens. And praise God it does. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I saw, and I, I, John, saw the holy city, new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Let me stop there for a moment. You ever been to a wedding? What happens when the bride comes? Everybody stands, and everybody kind of does that side shuffle and looks back at the bride, walk down the aisle, right? Right? Now, let's read that verse again, and I want you to picture it. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and He will dwell with them, and they shall be His people. And God Himself shall be with them and be their God. Genesis chapter 2, verse 1 opens up on day 7, and all things were made. It's completed. It's fine. As we talked about on the cross, Jesus' last cry, it is finished. And here, after the judgment, after all of enemies of God are cast into a lake of fire and the bride of Christ is being ushered down, if you will, this holy city, it is done. I am Alpha and Omega the beginning and the end. I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of the water of life freely. He that overcometh shall inherit all things. And I will be his God, and he shall be my son. But the fearful and unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. And there came unto me one of the seven angels which had the seven vials full of the seven last plagues and talked with me, saying, Come hither, I will show thee the bride, the Lamb's wife. And he carried me away in the Spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me the great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. And her light was likened to a stone most precious, even like a jasper stone, clear as crystal and had a wall great and high, and had twelve gates, and at the gates twelve angels and names written thereon, which are the names of the twelve tribes of the children of Israel. And on the east, three gates, and on the north, three gates, and on the south, three gates, and on the west, three gates. And the wall of the city had twelve foundations, and in them the names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. And he that talked with me had a golden reed to measure the city and the gates thereof and the wall thereof, And the city lieth four square, and the length is as large as the breadth. And he measured the city with the reed, 12,000 furlongs. The length and the breadth and the height of it are equal, cubic. And he measured the wall thereof, and 144 cubits, according to the measure of a man that is of the angel. And the building of the wall, it was as of jasper, and the city was pure gold, like unto clear glass. And the foundations of the wall of the city were garnished with all manner of precious stones. The first foundation was jasper. The second, sapphire. The third, a, a chalcedony. The fourth, an emerald. The fifth, sardonyx. The sixth, sardius. The seventh, chrysolite. The eighth, beryl. The ninth, a topaz. The tenth, a chrysoprase, The eleventh, a jacinth, And the twelfth, an amethyst. And the twelve gates were Twelve pearls. Every several gate was of one pearl. And the street of the city was pure gold, as it were transparent glass. And I saw no temple therein. For the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple of it. And the city had no need of the sun, neither of the moon to shine in it. For the glory of God did lighten it, and the Lamb is the light thereof. And the nations of them which are saved shall walk in the light of it. And the kings of the earth do bring their glory and honor into it and the gates of it shall not be shut at all by day, for there shall be no night there. And they shall bring the glory and honor of the nations into it, and there shall in no wise enter into it anything that defileth, neither whatsoever worketh abomination or maketh a lie, but they which are written in the Lamb's book of life. And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God and the Lamb, in the midst of the street of it, and on either side of the river was there the tree of life, which bare twelve manner of fruits and yielded her fruit every month and the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. And there shall be no more curse. For the throne of God and the Lamb shall be in it and His servants shall serve Him. And they shall see His face and His name shall be in their foreheads. And there shall be no night there. And they need no candle, neither light of the sun. For the Lord God giveth them light. And they shall reign forever and ever. And He said unto me, These sayings are faithful and true. And the Lord God of the holy prophets sent His angel to show unto His servant these things which must shortly be done. Behold, I come quickly. Blessed is he that keepeth the sayings of the prophecy of this book. And I, John, saw these things and heard them. When I had heard and seen, I fell down to worship before the feet of the angel which showed me these things. Then saith he unto me, See thou, do it not, for I am thy fellow servant and of thy brethren the prophets and of them which keep the sayings of this book. Worship God he saith unto me, seal not the sayings of the prophecy of this book, for the time is at hand. He that is unjust, let him be unjust still. And he which is filthy, let him be filthy still. And he that is righteous, let him be righteous still. And he that is holy, let him be holy still. And behold, I come quickly, and my reward is with me, to give every man according as his work shall be. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Blessed are they that do his commandments, and they might have right to the tree of life, and may enter in the gates of the city. For without our dogs, and sorcerers, and whoremongers, and murderers, and idolaters, and whosoever loveth and maketh a lie. I, Jesus, have sent mine angel to testify unto these things in the churches. I am the root of the offspring of David and the bright and morning star. And the Spirit and the bride say, Come. Let him that heareth say, Come. Let him that is athirst come. And whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. For I testify unto every man, that heareth the words of the prophecy of this book. If any man shall add unto these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. And if any man shall take away from the words of the book of the prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life and out of the holy city and from the things which are written in this book. He which testifieth these things saith, Surely I come quickly. Amen. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Day number seven. Looks like heaven. Looks like eternity with our Lord. What a day it will be. A day of which you and I can't even begin to describe or fathom in our brains now. The moment you and I enter into that eternal day of rest, every worry, question, heartache, or tear that we've ever had, every curse that has ever been against us through the fall of man will be lifted and gone and wiped away. And you and I who are in the Lamb's book of life, will get to enter in into that eternal rest forevermore. If we could understand that one day we're going to rest forevermore in Him, it should certainly help us to rest in Him now. Regardless of what this life brings you on day 8, 9, 10, 11, or 12, the rest of this world, rest in God. Worship the Lord. and Trust in Him. Long and look forward to that glorious day, let us pray. Our heavenly Father, we thank you for this night. I thank you for each soul. Thank you for your word that we could study it and we could see the beauty of all that you've promised to your people who trust in you. God, help us tonight to rest in you now, day to day, and moment by moment, to know that we need you every hour. Lord, help us as well to look forward to that eternal day of rest in you, and God, that we might live for the eternal live for eternity and not to live for this temporary world but lord that we would be faithful to what you've called us to do lord help us to love you to walk with you to be filled by you and be strengthened by you as we go from this place lord use us in this lost and dying and dark world we ask all this in christ's name amen hey thank y'all for coming tonight hope y'all enjoy the rest of your week we'll see you friday night y'all get